Today's topic is titled Urinalysis for Adult Patients, and the discussion is going to address a few things that we scrutinize when it comes to the urinalysis. Some topics like hematuria would need a dedicated lecture. I will stay away from overly basic stuff like ketones and glucose, and the things most of us have a really good sense of either how to interpret or at least what we should do next with the results. However, sometimes it's the stuff we are most familiar with we don't understand and can be challenging to understand. For example, what is a nitrite test on a UA and does it mean a UTI is present? The nitrite test is positive by urine dipstick when bacteria reduce nitrates to nitrites, but yeast in certain bacteria don't produce nitrites, so we haven't ruled out a UTI if the nitrites is negative. In regards to a bacteria species not producing nitrite, that is pretty rare, as most of the organisms we see in the urinary tract, such as Klebsiella or E. coli, Proteus, Pseudomonas, those species do indeed produce nitrites. But some very important pathogens like Enterococcus faecalis do not produce nitrites, so we have to be knowledgeable about that. The opposite is also true, that a positive nitrite test doesn't rule in a urinary tract infection. What if the specimen is contaminated with bacteria that isn't present in the bladder? In that case, those bacteria can make nitrites and cause a false positive. It also takes some time for bacteria to convert nitrates to nitrites. And as we know, with a urinary tract infection, urinary frequency is a common symptom. So if the amount of time a patient is retaining urine in the bladder is short because they are peeing every 30 minutes, that may not be long enough time to allow bacteria to engineer the nitrites. Well then, moving along, what if the leukocyte esterase is also positive? Leukocyte esterase is a test that tells us if white blood cells are in the urine. Neutrophils make the enzyme esterase, and also if neutrophils are lysed, there is a release of leukocyte esterase, and then we can pick that enzyme up on a reagent strip. And that lysis is a reason why we sometimes, on rare occasion, see a positive leukocyte esterase, but no white blood cells on the microscopy, meaning if all the white blood cells have lysed, it will be challenging to see them. Patients can have a false positive result because of vaginal contamination, which is one of the many reasons why the clean catch or midstream collection techniques are important, and a catheterization is even better. Others will have a false negative because some patients actually don't develop pyuria despite bacteria being in the urine. Therefore, we can see that both nitrites and leukocyte esterase are important pieces of data, but we can't always make firm conclusions based on those test results. It was Rudyard Kipling that wrote, a woman's guess is much more accurate than a man's certainty, and that's why I take the symptoms of UTI seriously, even when initial testing is not conclusive, Though, if it is a male patient with a female doctor, they should probably take the man seriously as well. But that gets back to what if the urinalysis is negative, and sometimes it's the absence of findings 
that can tell you a lot. For example, interstitial cystitis is a diagnosis of exclusion. So when you see somebody that's usually a woman around the age of 40, but it can be any age or a man with bladder pain for more than three months who does not have a UTI, we must consider interstitial cystitis. Let's face it, most of these women with a bladder pain syndrome that have frequency of urination and a normal UA still get treated with a couple courses of antibiotics before we consult urology for interstitial cystitis. But the sooner we recognize failure and not kid ourselves that a third round of antibiotics might be the answer, the better. Perhaps it would be good to step back for a moment and talk about urine color. Before urine even makes it to the lab, there can be questions. If you are taking care of patients in the hospital long enough, you will get a call one of these days from nurses asking you why the patient's urine is purple or green or another color. We've all seen red urine from hematuria. Cloudy or milky urine is often from infection causing pyuria. And by the way, pyuria is defined as pus in the urine usually from infection. So purple urine is associated with gram-negative bacteria. If your patient has a diet high in tryptophan, that is converted in the GI tract to indole, which bacteria then morphs into the pigment indigo, which then stains the polyvinyl chloride that Foley catheter bags are often made from. So what you got to remember in basic terms is that you do send a UA and culture when the urine bag turns purple because it usually does mean infection. And infections can cause other changes in urine color. For example, pseudomonas can cause the urine to turn green, but a bunch of medicines have been associated with green urine such as propofol, cimetidine, amitriptyline, indomethacin, and promethazine, which most of us know by the brand name Phenergan. And there's also lots of medications and foods that can cause orange and red urine. Rifampin is classic. Carrots and beets are also pretty well known. But it can be plenty of other stuff. And I think just reading a list will bore listeners. So if you're interested, there are articles dedicated to abnormal urine color such as from January 2012 this year in the Southern Medical Journal, starting on page 43. Now, one of the rare things I have never seen, but an interesting thing the authors in that article discuss, is the possibility of melanoma causing brown or black urine. And to quote them, they say, metastatic melanoma can lead to a rare condition called diffuse melanosis, causing dark skin, distant lesions, to the internal organs and brown or black urine. One case report mentions a patient with acute kidney injury from melanin accumulation in the tubular system. The prognosis is poor at this point. And those of you who listened to my rhabdomyolysis lecture know about cola-colored urine. So needless to say, there's a lot of things that are clinically important that we can tell just from the urine color alone. I think it would be worth mentioning urine pH, since that is one of those things some of us, like myself, often don't know what to make of it. The textbook Campbell-Walsh Urology, 9th edition, explains that, in general, 
the urinary pH reflects the pH in the serum. In patients with metabolic or respiratory acidosis, the urine pH is usually acidotic. Conversely, in patients with metabolic or respiratory alkalosis, the urine is alkaline. Now, sometimes when we look at urine pH, I forget I am looking at the miracle of one of the kidney's most important jobs, which is to maintain normal acid-base balance. The Danish writer Karen von Blixen, who wrote Out of Africa, among other things, said it more succinctly. What is man when you come to think upon him but a minutely set, ingenious machine for turning with infinite artfulness the red wine of Shiraz into urine? So we can take comfort in the fact that the kidney's conversion of liquids is appreciated even by the non-physician. The thing with urine is that we should remember in a normal state, it is usually an acid with a pH of about 5 to 6. That's confusing, to me at least, since chemistry class told us to think about 7 as the neutral point on the pH scale. But with urine, once you get above 6.5, it's considered alkaline urine because the normal state of urine reflects the obligation of the kidneys to excrete acid. And putting that all together in practical terms, what is a clinical pearl related to urine pH? Well, urine gets rid of acid by excreting hydrogen and ammonium ions. Let's say your patient has a urinary tract infection and you notice the urine pH is alkaline at 7.5 or more. In that case, you want to strongly consider Proteus as the culprit because Proteus is a urease-producing bacteria that converts ammonia to ammonium, which therefore raises the pH in the urine. While you clinically will see Proteus in the urine, it is also a classic question for exams and boards to know that Proteus is associated with struvite stones that often form large staghorn calculi. Why do these stones form? The alkaline urine made from Proteus promotes the precipitation of phosphate, carbonate, and magnesium. If you have seen struvite stones infected with Proteus, you also appreciate that unlike most urinary tract infections, medical management is rarely solely successful. Besides the sepsis issue that can kill you, deterioration of kidney function and end-stage renal disease can also occur if left untreated. So recognizing Proteus is recognizing you need a urologist. One of your first clues while awaiting culture is an alkaline urine pH. I hope recognizing some of these pearls and issues will make a rather routine test a little bit more exciting to interpret, and you've been listening to the Hospital Medicine Podcast with your host, Dr. Gil Parat.